When I was working as a priest at Queen of All Saints, I was always happy when one particular family invited me to their home, usually at Thanksgiving, for a Thanksgiving meal. And why I liked going there was because they had a restaurant, and in their house, they were big into food and wine, so it was always spectacular food and wine when I was there. So it was a great invitation to get. So after the meal one day, we had a very nice meal, and we were sitting down, and the, the, the head of the household, um, he said, I want everybody to stay where you are. I'll be back in a few minutes. So he went away, and he reappeared with um, probably a dozen of these little small, is it pixie cups, you call them, the small little paper cups or plastic cups, and they were about half filled with wine. And he said, now put that in front of you on the left, uh, at your left hand. Then he undoubtedly came back in and gave us another similar cup, keep that on your right hand. Then he told us that the one, one of those glass cups of wine that you have, he says, that comes from a bottle that is several hundred dollars worth. And the other comes from a bottle that he got at Costco. And he said, there is a competition to find out who is, uh, which one is which. So all of his children and everybody there, they were huge into cooking and into food and into wine. And they'd be talking about Napa Valley and this and this and this. They would know much more than I did about it. So we tasted, tasted, tasted and compared and everything. Then he went around each one of us and asked which one was the $100 one, which one was the $10 one from a couple of hundred dollars to $10 from Costco. Nine of us out of 11 were wrong. I didn't mind me being wrong, uh, and, uh, but the rest of them were fairly upset that they were wrong. But somebody explained to me, and they said, somebody said there, you know, he says, um, the one you will prefer is the one that you drink most, and that's certainly, mine would be Costco, it wouldn't be the couple of hundred dollar ones. <laughs> but it is quite amazing how, um, that, how uh, people, you know, the good wine was not necessarily, you could say, the, the most expensive one. Well, I'm telling you that story is because the wine, the whole story of wine is, is, is so intimately connected into the gospel of today and the good wine, and, and, the, and the good wine is being kept to the last, and it's not necessarily the, probably the wine that they were expecting for the banquet, the really expensive wine, the good wine that comes from Jesus. And that is the kind of the story, which wine are you going to drink as you go through life? Is it the wine of Jesus, or is it the wine of the world? And this is a fabulous um, gospel passage. Remember, it is the first one in John's gospel, and John's gospel is a very profound gospel. And everything in the gospel is like a sign that leads into a symbol, that leads into a mystery, that is inviting us to understand and know more. So it says, on the third day, the first sign happened. Where else do we hear that? the predictions of Jesus' resurrection on the third day. 
So it's telling us what is about to happen is in line with what God's plan. And what is happening is there is a wedding. And whenever you have a wedding, you have a coming together of two people to co-create something new. So somebody's going to get married, and something new is going to come out of this wedding. And there you have, uh, this, it all says, Mary is there. Mary, the first disciple, represents all of humanity. And she's the woman who says, there is no wine. Now, that's a very profound statement. There is no wine. Because that is the, touches all of us. You know, everybody carries a cross. Some people carry heavier crosses than other people. Trials, tribulations, worries, fears, regrets. The list goes on. That is what is meant by Mary saying that God's people, the people that Jesus has come to, they have no wine. They are not living life and living it in the fullness. Jesus then kind of says something like, well, what's it got to do with me? But by Mary saying it to him, she is saying to him, implying that this is everything to do with you. This is why you came, so that your people would have life and life in its fullness. And he says, mine hour is not yet come yet. True. The fullness of what he is going to do to show us God's love will only come at his passion, death, and resurrection. The last sign. But this is the first of the signs that, that Jesus is, is going to bring about. And then Mary says simply, do whatever he tells you. And then you have the water jars, and they represent the old religion. The old religion of the temple, where you had to offer up sacrifice. You had to purify yourself. That it was a huge effort on people going to God. And why they were filled with wine from the inside out is that, that there's a, something new is a different relationship with God. It is not a relationship with God that we have to go to. That we, it is conditional to get God's forgiveness and to get God's love. No, it is unconditional. It is God coming to us. So it's so important that we remember that God we worship is a God who comes to us. A God who delights in coming to us. A God who wants friendship with us. A God who, when we're happy, God is happy. So that's, that's, that's a line from a car salesman in Libertyville. <laughs> I shouldn't have used it. He said to me, when you're happy, I'm happy. So... Um, <laughs> So it is a God who delights in coming to us and wants to be with us. And that is why the best wine is kept to last. The best wine is kept to last. That is the wine that Jesus offers. And um, it, is, it is all given for, for a very, very definite purpose. And, and what Jesus, Jesus wants for us is, is revealed to us in the first reading that that uh, the people, Jerusalem, the people of Zion, would, would live as God wants them to live. Live in a way that uh, Pope uh, Paul VI put it beautifully, that they would live as a civilization of love. And that is what all of us are called to do in our families, with ourselves, that we live like a civilization of love in our relationships with other people, a civilization that is always seeking the good of the other person, 
that we live and we foster in our families a civilization of love. We foster among our friends a civilization of love. And we spread it out as far and as wide as we can do. And it, sometimes it takes something very small at a beginning and to help nurture it and let it grow. Let me give you one example. You know, before the pandemic, we had a food pantry. That was just a small little hole in the wall, hardly ever used, little bits and pieces here and there. Not very, you know, it was good, but it wasn't anything what it is today. But that began as something very small. And then people tended to it, and people got involved in it, and it grew and grew and grew. And imagine, in the last year that has just ended, it has fed 11,000 families in one year. So what I'm saying to you is something small that is tended to in your families, in your community, among your friends, and in society at large. Tended to can be something great by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is represented by the wine. That is, comes from inside and goes outwards. And that is the God of Jesus Christ, a God who manifests himself within each one of us. We tend it, we make it grow, so that it reaches out to all people. So that no more will people be saying they have no wine, but they have the wine of God's love, God's presence, God's forgiveness, and God's healing in their lives. Thank mm -hmm. you.